You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. If you don't know me, my name is Jackson. I'm the student pastor here. And um, I'm not just saying it because I'm the pastor here, but New Song Students is a special place. And if you agree with that, would you just say amen? Like, God's... God's doing something unique here, and so if it's your first time, man, we would love to see you back. But um, like Maddie said, we are going to be closing out Hot Takes tonight. You guys have been enjoying the series so far? It's been so good. But before we get into the Word, um, I am going to share just a little bit about like what happened to me. I know like some of you guys may have heard me share my story in the lobby or on the weekends, but I'm sure a lot of you were just like, what? You were in the hospital? What happened? Um, so I just wanted to share the details about what happened and I'm just going to be honest. I've shared this story about five bajillion times. So I'm not necessarily like ramped up to do it again, but I do it because, man, God is so good. And like the fact that I'm up here on this platform tonight truly is like a miracle. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys. So for those of you who don't know, uh, about two and a half weeks ago, I found myself in the hospital. I was there for six days. It was the longest I've ever stayed in the hospital. felt like prison. But... um, I got a medical condition called rhabdomyolysis, and some of you are like, rhabdo who? Never heard of them. And um, I had never heard of rhabdo either until it was happening to me. And so uh, here's what rhabdomyolysis is. It occurs uh, when damaged muscle tissues, because I was trying to get swole, y'all, all right? That's right. And my, my, my damaged muscle tissues release too many proteins and electrolytes into the blood. These substances can damage the heart and kidneys. Rhabdo is a serious medical condition that can be fatal or result in permanent disability. So how, and you're like, Jackson, what did you do to get rhabdo? Well, I did this thing called the MRF um, with some of you in this room. And if you don't know what the MRF is, it's a CrossFit workout where you do a mile run, you do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and then another mile run after all of that. So that's what I did. And if you were like me and you're very competitive and you're not in like peak fitness, which I was not in when I did the Murph, then uh, Murph is going to eat your lunch. And that's what it did to me. It ate my lunch and all of my muscles up in my upper body. So much so that I got this thing called rhabdo. And so that happened on a Monday, on Memorial Day. Well, I didn't get admitted into the ER until Saturday night. So for an entire week, from Monday all the way to Saturday night, my blood was being poisoned, and I had no idea it was happening. Um, And that's the kind of scary thing about rhabdo is that it looks like it's like a, a muscle tear thing but really it's an internal condition. It was like a blood problem. I didn't have a muscle issue, I had a blood issue. And so this is why like something like this can be so dangerous because like I went all week and I just thought it was like muscle tears. Like on that Wednesday, uh, Pastor David Terry preached. Do you guys remember that week? Preached a fire word. But if you saw me that Wednesday, I was like C-3PO all night long because I couldn't bend my arms and I was over here worshiping and I couldn't lift my hands because they hurt so bad. Um, And I was in so much pain, but I just thought it was a muscle thing. And so I didn't do anything about it. Well, fast forward to Saturday. I'm actually feeling pretty good. Um, My arms are starting to get a little more stretched out. I'm feeling like, okay, I'm out of the clear from all of this. But then I get down on the ground at, at our house in the living room to stretch out my arms. And when I did that, 
I got like the chills through my body, goosebumps all over my body, and I felt like I had a fever. So I told Haley, I was like, hey, I, I think I just got the chills. So she grabs the thermometer, our little baby thermometer that we use for Marlo, and she doop, hits my forehead, and I had a 104 fever, which is really bad. And Haley was like, she took it, and she was like, hmm, that's a little weird. So she took it again, took it again, and took it again, and it was like 104, 103, 101, 104. So she, my wife, praise God, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She got a check in her spirit, and she was like, hey, you need to go to the hospital right now. So I... Long story short, I end up in the hospital. They take my blood, they take my urine sample, and the numbers come back, and, and this is where things got like kind of serious for Haley and I. So I know none of these numbers are gonna make sense to you, but I'm gonna try and explain it to you as best as I can. So in your blood, you've got this thing called a CK count. Somebody, somebody say CK. CK. And this is what, how you measure like rhabdo. And for a normal average CK count, like you guys right now, and me right now, praise God, your normal CK level is like 99 to 190. Now, if you go to the hospital and you have a CK count of 5,000, which is pretty high, right? You're gonna instantly get admitted into the ER. Well, when my numbers came back that Saturday night, I, I had a CK level of 45,000. So eight times the level that you get admitted to the hospital for. And so the next day, that Sunday morning, I wake up, and I'm in the hospital and the doctor comes into the room and this is kind of where like it got serious for Haley and I. He came in and he kind of looked me in the eyes and was like, hey, this is really serious. Like your numbers are really scary and we need to flush this out before it does damage to your heart, to your liver, to your kidneys. Um, and so I say all of this to say, man, I was, I was in bad shape on Sunday morning and I had for one moment, I had a moment, it was a really scary thought. I've never had this thought before, but this thought of like, man, what if I don't leave this hospital bed? Like, what if my wife and my daughter go home and I don't go with them? I've never had that thought before. But I only had it for a second because, man, I knew God is not done with me yet. I knew we serve a good and faithful God. And not only that, but, man, we're a part. I don't know if you know this, but we go to a praying church. And prayer, we do that because prayer changes things. And I was in that hospital bed and we go to a praying church that was praying for me. And God was moving on my behalf, New Song students. And I say all that to say this, man, God is taking care of us, not just me. He's taking care of you. Even when you don't know it, even when you don't see it, God cares intensely about you, New Song students. And that doesn't mean like you're never going to walk through troubles, because like clearly I walked through a little bit of trouble. It just means that as children of God, we walk through troubles with the favor of God on our life, right? And so this is what happened to me. I find myself in the hospital. I had no plans of getting there. The only reason why I went there was because God gave me a fever, praise God, to warn my wife, which saved my life. And then from day to day, as I was in the hospital, my numbers continued to dwindle. And the, the fact that I'm here tonight and I have no kidney issues, no heart issues, no liver problems. I got my blood work done last Thursday. All of my levels are perfectly normal. And so I'm just up here today, and I just want to share that with you, man. What a testimony. God is so good. He protected my life. I'm so grateful. Uh, so yeah, you can give the Lord a shout. We serve a, we, we really do. Like, we don't always sense that we serve a miracle-working God, but I'm here to tell you tonight, New Song students, we serve a miracle-working God. He's so good. And so I want to thank you guys, man. I know a lot of you guys heard that news, and you were praying for me. I want to thank you guys, any of you who were reaching out to me, shooting me a text, visiting me in the hospital. Like, we've got a really good family here, and I'm so thankful for you guys. I love y'all. And shout out to Pastor Maddie for preaching the word for me. 
at Pack the House. Who was at Pack the House? Pack the House was good, y'all. Shout out to Pastor Matty for preaching for me, Molly for taking over. Shout out to my boy, Kaysen. Y'all don't know this, but Kaysen made a private live stream for me, so I was actually at Pack the House. I just wasn't at Pack the House. I was spying on you guys, and I was like, oh, they're not paying attention right now in the message. I'm just kidding. Um, And how about Jack Kelly, y'all? Jack Kelly was dope. That was an awesome show. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed Pack the House. I hope um, you're excited to be here tonight because I'm ready to stop chit-chatting and get into the Word tonight. Who's, Who's ready for the Word? Okay, so get whatever you need to do to follow along with me tonight. New Song Institute, your Bible, your journal, your notes. And we're going to be closing out this series. We've been in for four weeks now called Hot Takes. Look at your neighbor and say Hot Takes. Hot Takes. takes. And speaking of hot, man, it's been a hot minute since I've preached. So hopefully I still know how to do this thing. So here we go. In Hot Takes, uh, we've currently gone through three weeks. And week one, we looked at this. How do we as Christians answer a hot take? A hot take is just a controversial topic in culture or in the faith. And so in week one, we looked at how to answer those as believers. In week two, we looked at this thing called the tithe. Somebody say, yo, money. Yo, money. money. We looked at the tithe, and we looked at, okay, is the tithe something we need to do as believers? In week three, Pastor David brought a word on how do we know what is sin and how do we know what is not sin? And if any of those topics sound interesting to you and you missed it, don't fear, don't fret. We post every single message that happens here on the best day of the week on our podcast. So if you're not following the podcast, you should be following the podcast. Look to your neighbor and say, follow the podcast. podcast. All you got to do is search New Song Students OKC, subscribe, do whatever. I don't know. I don't know how you follow a podcast, but do it. And so you don't miss any of these messages. So tonight we're closing out the series. I want you to lean in with me mentally. Do whatever you need to do to lean in because I believe God speaks through the preaching of the word. He speaks through his word, but he also speaks through the preaching of his word. And so tonight, man, it can just be a good talk for you if that's how you treat it. Or if you treat this like, man, a a moment where you can hear the voice of God, God will speak to you tonight. And I believe that. So posture yourself in that way. Because tonight, if you're taking notes, we're going to be looking at the hot take of doubt. Somebody say doubt. We're going to be talking about doubting as believers, which is an interesting thing. It seems contradictory. In fact, the the hot take that we're specifically going to be addressing tonight is this. Doubt and faith don't mix. Is that true? I don't know. Actually, I do, but I'm going to give you the answer tonight. So we're going to be answering, is that true? Doubt and faith don't mix. And I want to start off tonight by looking at John chapter 20, where Jesus encounters a doubter. Somebody say a doubter. This guy's name is Thomas. You're probably familiar with the story. I'm going to read this passage of scripture. We'll pray, and then we'll get into the word. It says this, but Thomas, some of the, uh, sometimes called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. So resurrected Jesus shows up to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. The other disciples told him, We saw Jesus, the master. But he said this, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This this time the doors were locked um, and Jesus stood among them, which is like 
Jack Kelly stuff right there, like illusionist, beast mode. Jesus just walks through a locked door, and he says, peace to you, which I love. He's like, hey, chill. Don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. Peace to you. Then I want you to circle this, underline this if you have a physical Bible. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Somebody say believe. 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 Let's pray before we get into the rest of the word tonight. Father, I thank you so much for your presence in this space. And I thank you that Jesus, we're going to find out tonight that you meet us right where we're at right where we're at. You come and you minister to us with whatever doubts we're facing. And we can face a lot of different doubts in this world, doubts about our future, doubts about you or your word or what is truth. We live in a world that it's easy to fall into this. But God, I pray tonight for any person in this room that finds themselves like Thomas and they're demanding you to show up in their life and they're demanding answers. And God, I pray that you would, like Thomas, meet us right where we're at tonight. If there's any students in this room, Holy Spirit, that are struggling to believe, God, I pray that you would help them in their unbelief tonight and make yourself known to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, let's dive into this deep topic of doubt. This is a topic that I'm actually really passionate about because this is something I've personally walked through, and I want to I share that with you tonight, but it's also something that I'm really passionate about because it's something that I've seen a lot of close friends of mine walk through, but they ended up in completely different places in their faith than I did. We both walked through the same thing, but they ended up in a different place than me. I've got friends that walked through a season of doubt, and for some of them, that doubt that they walked through caused them to become like chronic skeptics. Have you ever known a chronic skeptic? Like they, cannot, they don't believe a single thing anybody says, kind of like Thomas. And like chronic skeptics, they sit in messages and they pick apart every single word that I'm saying. And I've got friends that that's what happened because of their doubt. I've got friends who they went through doubt and they, they came out on the other side jaded, bitter. They can't even walk into a church without their feelings getting all crazy because they think that all organized church is evil. I've seen friends of mine that have gone through some doubts and it caused them to go on a truth-seeking journey. And so they've tried to understand everything about God that they can, put God in this nice, neat box that they can fully explain. And they've spent all this time trying to learn about who God is, but never be with God. They totally lose the relationship with God. And then I've got friends of mine that have walked through doubt and on the other side of their doubt, it left them walking away from their relationship with God. And I want, to, I want you to know that this happens all the time. This is a normal thing that happens in our world, but this wasn't how I ended up on the other side of my doubt, and it doesn't have to be how you end up either on the other side of your doubt. But the first thing we gotta understand is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. You will, somebody say will. will. You will encounter doubts. You will. It's not a matter of if you're gonna doubt one day, but when is it gonna happen? And maybe you're here tonight and like your faith is strong. Like you're in a season of strong, steady faith and you look back at your walk with the Lord and it's kind of been like trending up and to the right since you started following him. And you've never had a season or a moment where you've really questioned maybe who God is or his word. And if, if that's you tonight, I wanna honestly say like, I am super happy for you. 
and I'm stoked, and I think you should soak up this season. Really allow God to prepare you, because guess what? Doubt will come knocking at the door of your heart one day. I don't care how strong your faith is, doubt is coming for you. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that to like speak death over your walk with the Lord. I'm actually saying this because it's a biblical thing that happens to us. We're currently in a series right now called By Faith. Somebody say By Faith. This is a series on the weekend, and Pastor Josh, he's already preached two messages, and if you've missed them, they've been absolute fire. So you need to go back and listen to those messages. But during this series, By Faith, it is all about looking at people in the Bible who had what? <laughs> no, 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 what'd they have? No, they had faith, right? By faith. The Hall of Faith. Are, do you remember this? We're looking at people in the Bible who had great faith. Great faith. Some of you know where I'm going with this, though. But you know what's interesting about every single one of these characters that we're addressing in this series, all of these people of great faith, every single one of these people who had great faith, at one point in their walk with God was experiencing great doubt. Every single person. Let me just give you a handful of examples of some people in Scripture who experienced some great doubt. And this will be up on the screen if you want to jot this down. Adam and Eve doubted God's wisdom and intentions in the garden. Moses doubted his calling to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Gideon doubted his title as a mighty man of valor. Elijah, after seeing fire fall from heaven, he saw that right in front of his eyes, he doubted God's protection. Jeremiah doubted that God could use him because of his young age, and Abraham and Sarah doubted that God could give them a child because of their old age. So these are just a handful of people who were they, were, they were in covenant relationship with God. Some of the people in that list were prophets. So that means they spoke on God's behalf, and yet they doubted. David, you know King David, who the Bible says was the greatest king who's ever walked the face of the earth? Have you ever read the book of Psalms before? That dude doubted. He experienced some doubt, and he was transparent about what was going on in his heart. Everyone in the Bible, at one point or another, even the people of great faith that we're looking at in this series, encountered doubts, and guess what? You will too. You will too, New Song students. And I'm not sharing these examples with you to scare you. I'm not sharing these with you to be like, hey, you should look forward to it because doubting is awesome and we should glorify it. No, not at all. I just want you to to realize that doubting is a, is a normal part of your spiritual walk with God. And I want to normalize this tonight. It's actually biblical. In fact, I believe that every season of doubt or, or thought of doubt that you choose to wrestle with and bring to the Lord can actually strengthen your walk with Christ. John Tyson says this. I love it. He says, there is no road to spiritual maturity that does not walk straight through doubt. Now, I have a question for you, New Song students. Is there anybody in this room who would just really like to be a baby Christian for the rest of your life? Anybody? Like, anybody want to be the type of Christian where, like, the littlest thing happens? Like, you get a flat tire, and, like, you, you, you think that, like, God has left you? <laughs> or, like, like you need, the, you need your, your pastors to, they're the only ones that can feed you spiritually? Does anybody want to be completely dependent on other people? No, we want to grow in our walk with Christ. We want to grow spiritually. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight that if you want that, at some point or another, on that pathway to spiritual maturity, you're going to walk through a forest of doubt. 
It's going to happen in your life. And it's happened to me. But just like what John Tyson said, it's the path to spiritual maturity. And I've experienced this in my own walk where I walked through doubts, but I actually came out on the other side better than when I came in. So I want to just share those with you real quick. The first time that I ever went through a season of doubt was when I first went to Bible college, which is just kind of ironic, right? But this is my story. I go to Bible college, and it was a period of doubt that lasted like a year to a year and a half. Now, at this point in my life, I was a baby Christian. Like, I grew up in church like a lot of you guys did, but I didn't give my life to the Lord. I didn't fully surrender my life to the Lord till my senior year in high school. So I'm in Bible college now. I've only been saved about a year. And as I'm in Bible college, I'm starting to do something good. I'm starting to own my faith, which is what so many of you guys are already doing. I'm starting to learn more about the things of God. And this is what's interesting about about my wrestle with doubt is sometimes people enter into a season of doubt because something bad happened in their life. For me, I entered into a season of doubt because something good happened. I started to learn more. And as I'm in in Bible school and starting to learn more about who God is, the Bible, theology, I started to discover something that I had never thought about before, and it was this. I started to discover that, oh, there's a lot of different beliefs about who God is. There's a lot of different ways that people say this is who God is and this is what he's like. There's a lot of different ways that people do church. And as I'm learning all of these different things, my my main thing that I had to wrestle with was which way is right? How do I know which way is true? My friends that I'm going to school with are telling me that this is who God is like. My professors that I'm hearing and and being taught from are telling me that this is how you do church, but it's different than what I was taught growing up. Does this make sense? And this caused me to begin a good journey, which I hope every single one of you start this journey in your faith, and that's to become a student. And you guys are students, but I'm talking about spiritually becoming students who want to learn. That's a good journey to start. And I started this journey of becoming a student, but the more I started to learn, the more I started to doubt. What's really true? How is this all supposed to work out? And I grew up in a church that taught and stood on many of the things that we believe and teach and stand on here at New Song Students. One of those things that the church I grew up um, taught was that you, as a child of God, can hear the voice of God. Does anybody believe that in this house? Yeah, we teach that here at New Song, that you as a sheep, Jesus says, my sheep hear me and they know my voice. That doesn't necessarily mean audibly. It doesn't mean God can't talk to us audibly. He talks in a lot of different ways. But what it means is we serve a God who communicates with us. We believe that. We go to a church that believes that you can encounter the presence of God. Have you ever heard that said before? I know you've heard that said. Because we believe that when Jesus said, hey, where two or three are gathered in my name, what did he say? There I am in their midst. I don't know how that works necessarily, but if we're here for Jesus, he steps into the room. We believe something here at New Song. We teach that God wants to heal you not just emotionally, not just spiritually, but physically, right? We believe these things. But for the first time ever in my entire walk with God, these are the things that I was starting to question. Are these things even real? Does God talk to me? Does God really heal? Does the presence of God show up when we worship? And I'll never forget moments where I'm in a chapel service at my Bible college, and I'm looking around the room at all of these people encountering the love of God, and I feel like I'm the only person in that room not encountering God. 
I'm looking around the room and I see people crying. I see people worshiping. And I feel like I'm the only person there who's not encountering God. Maybe you felt that way before in worship. I'm here to tell you that's okay, that's normal. I've been there before. And it's an interesting wrestle because I'm in that room and I'm like, I wanna worship like these people, but I just can't. There was a wall of doubt in front of me keeping me from giving God my worship. Pete Scazzaro, he, he kind of describes doubt like this. It'll be up on the screen behind me. He says, when we're in doubt, we experience a dryness or a loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves, God, the church. We discover for the first time that our faith doesn't appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it's on the line. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he's going, how he's getting us there, or when this will all be over. And man, I resonate with this quote. That's exactly how I felt during my season of doubt. I didn't wanna be there. I didn't know how long I was gonna be there, but this is the, the beauty of Jesus. Jesus met me in that place. He met me in that place of doubt, and he pulled me out. And I'll get to that in just a second. That was the first time I experienced doubt in my walk with Jesus. The second time I experienced a season of doubt with Jesus was when I moved here five years ago to become the youth pastor at New Song Church. And at this time, this is interesting. This is how doubt is. It's different for everybody. This time, the doubt was different than the first time. Like, I wasn't doubting God. I wasn't doubting what I believed. I wasn't doubting the Bible. What I was doubting was the call of God on my life. I was like Moses. You guys know the story of Moses? Moses was called by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But you know what Moses did? He doubted that call. He wrestled with God because he didn't think that was for him. He didn't think that was something he was capable of doing. And that's exactly how I found myself when I moved here. I thought, man, God, I'm not capable of this. I can't do this. I don't know if this is really for me. Now, God, like by his grace, constantly was showing me like, dude, you're, you're, the, you're the guy. You're supposed to be here. Trust me. But I'm telling you guys, I wrestled with this call for, for two years. I wrestled with this doubt of being here. Now, I share these two examples with you tonight to say to you guys that I've been there before. I've been there before. And doubt is a really lonely place. If you've ever been there before, doubt is a really lonely place, especially for us believers. Like we're people who are supposed to be known by our faith, right? And when you're doubting as a believer, whether you're doubting God or his call on your life or his timing, whatever that looks like for you, it can feel like you're broken. Have you ever felt that before? Like, what am I doing wrong? If I was just doing all the right things, maybe my doubt would disappear. But at the end of the day, I wanna talk about this topic because I don't want doubt to be a taboo thing here at New Song Students. Like, I don't want that to be a thing that you think you need to hide because you feel like you're a broken Christian. I would rather, you, I don't wanna glorify doubt because you do not wanna stay in doubt any longer than you need to. So I don't wanna glorify it and say like, it's awesome and you should, you should just like make it, hey, I'm like identify with it. No, 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 no. But I do want you to know that this is a safe place. And if you are experiencing doubt, I would much rather you come to me or go to your small group leader or come to somebody at the church and be honest about where you're actually at rather than pretend you're all good and call that faith. Does that make sense? Because the enemy wants to use any doubt that you hide to actually create a wedge between you and God. 
The enemy wants to use your doubt, but you know who else wants to use your doubt? God wants to use your doubt. And he wants to use your doubt to actually strengthen your walk with him and for him to be more real to you than ever before. C.S. Lewis says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What is C.S. Lewis saying there? He's saying, man, when life is perfect, sometimes the voice of God is like a whisper to us. Why? Because we don't feel like we need him that much. But in our pain, in our doubts, that's, that's a point in our life where God's voice can actually be as loud as possible to us. Amen. Eugene Peterson says this, the reason many of us don't ardently, that's a fancy word for strongly, the reason many of us don't strongly believe in the gospel is that we've never given it a rigorous testing. We've never thrown hard questions at it or faced it with our most prickly doubts. Okay, New Song students, you need to know something about the gospel. It's powerful. Like the gospel, it's powerful. Guess what? It's, it's been thrown doubt for 2,000 years and hasn't lost any of its power. So you know the gospel can handle your doubt. Any doubt that you throw at the gospel, I'm telling you, Jesus can take it. He's more powerful than it. His blood speaks a better word, and he can take that doubt if you're honest with him, and he can make it into something beautiful. Is this helping anybody tonight? Okay, so... I want to tackle what doubt is biblically. I want to look at this through the lens of a story in Luke chapter 23. So if you've got a Bible with you or your phone, turn with me there because we are going to be, I'm back, y'all. We're reading some chunkiness tonight. I hope you missed it, but we're going to be getting chunky tonight. And I want you to follow along with me. Don't check out. Put yourself in the shoes of these two characters. And I want to jump into this. Luke 23. Here's what it says, and this is directly after Jesus has just been resurrected from the, from the dead. It says, that very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So these two friends are walking to Emmaus, and they're talking about the cross and about how Jesus died. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, I don't know how this worked. I don't know how this looked. I don't know how Jesus did this, like if he was doing some like shape-shifting stuff, some like Jack Kelly illusionist stuff, but Jesus shows up in these guys' conversation, but they don't know it's him. And look at this. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? Which I love that. Jesus is just totally playing dumb. He knows exactly what things, right? Look at this. He says, what things? And they, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Underline this if you have a Bible with you. Verse 21. But we had hoped that he might be the one to redeem Israel. Okay, pause. Somebody say pause. Right here, I think we're given a glimpse into the nature of doubt and the nature of faith. And I want to explain this to you right now. That, what's our hot take tonight? Doubt and faith don't mix. Is that true? 
I want to I want to answer that right now because I think we're given right here the answer to this question. See, I think most people believe that doubt is a lack of faith. But I don't think so. In fact, the definition of doubt, I think it actually gives us the wrong wrong view of what doubt is. The definition on Google for doubt is this. It's a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction, which that makes sense. So we think that doubt is a lack of conviction. It's a lack of faith. There's no faith there. But the Greek word for doubt in the Bible is diakrino, and that's not what it means. Look at this. The Greek word for doubt in the Bible means to withdraw from. So think about this in the terms of money. Does anybody have money in their bank account? Hopefully you have some money in your bank account. Any spenders in the house? Where are my savers at? God bless you guys. Please help the spenders, okay? Okay, so hopefully you have a little bit of money in your bank account. Okay, so money, right? It can exist in different forms. It can exist digitally in your bank account with a number. It can exist physically in your wallet, right? Right? Okay, so think about your bank account. If I go to my bank account and I withdraw money from my bank account and I look at my app on my phone and it says zero, does that mean I have zero money? No. I have zero money in my bank account, but the money still exists, right? I just withdrew it and I've put it somewhere else. And this is exactly what doubt is. Doubt is not a lack of faith. It's you withdrawing your faith and putting it somewhere else. Like, you know that unbelievers have faith, right? People who don't believe in Jesus, they walk by faith every day, but they have just withdrawn their faith and they've put it in something else. The great theologian J.A. Wilson, which is me, I'm speaking that prophetically. Um, I want you guys to know me as that in, in 100 years from now. But he says this, which is me. Doubt isn't the absence of faith, it's just misplaced faith. Doubt isn't the absence of faith, it's just misplaced faith. And this is exactly, this makes sense. Think about this story in Luke 23 with these two guys. They didn't experience a lack of faith in Jesus. They just had their faith in a wrong version of Jesus. Like they had withdrawn their faith and placed it in a, in a Jesus that was a king who was going to conquer Rome. That's where they, their faith was. Their faith wasn't in a, in a Jesus that would die on the cross as a suffering servant for our sins to wipe us clean. Do you see what I'm saying? So they didn't doubt or they, they doubted, but it wasn't a lack of faith that they experienced. It was their faith being withdrawn from who Jesus actually is and putting it in a Jesus they wanted him to be. Does that make sense? So I want to continue with that idea of doubt. I want to continue in this story. It says this, yes, besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb earlier in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see it. They did not see the angels. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And be, this is so cool, y'all. You need to lean in with me right here. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures 
about the things concerning himself. So right here, they're walking, and Jesus turns this into the best Bible study in the entire universe. He just starts interpreting the entire Bible, like head in the clouds, right? He just does that with them right here on this walk. Look at this. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going to go a little further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now spent. So he went in with them to stay. And when he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Sounds familiar, right? And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight like a boss. And they, look at this, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we walked with him and while he opened the scriptures to us? Y'all, I love this story so much. This story is awesome. Of what an amazing encounter that these two guys have with the risen Jesus. I love this encounter because it's powerful, but I think it also gives us like a, a glimpse into like the playfulness of Jesus and like the, the, the personality of Jesus. Like he's a personal savior. You know that, right? And I love these two quotes. This is kind of a rabbit trail, but I think it's worth going. I love these two, two quotes that I found studying this out. Pete Gregg says this, in fewer than 20 verses, the Lord communicates in at least five different ways. Conversationally, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, exegetically, that just means through the Bible, when he explained all the scriptures concerning himself, sacramentally, when he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, prophetically, when their eyes were opened, and inwardly, when he spoke directly to their hearts, which were burning while he talked. I love this. You guys know that Jesus talks in a lot of different ways to us. He talks to us conversationally. He talks to us through the word. He talks to us sacramentally. Like when, you, when we take communion, the presence of God is with us in that moment, sacramentally. He talks to us prophetically, conversationally. I love this about Jesus. But this is my favorite quote I found, Charles Spurgeon. You know, we like Spurgeon here. He says this, when two saints are talking together, Jesus is very likely to come and make the third one in the company. Talk of him and you will soon talk with him. Okay, students, this is a deep quote right here. I wanna unpack this for you real quick because there were so many times in my journey when I was in those seasons of doubt, where my walk with God felt dry and I didn't feel God in church. I didn't feel God in my own time with him. It was dry and weary and I didn't know where he was. I can't tell you how many times during those dry seasons, I'd be with some friends and we would be talking about Jesus. And when I think back about some of these conversations, I cringe at some of the things we were saying because we didn't know anything about the Bible. And we were saying some weird stuff about Jesus, but our hearts were just pure. Like we didn't know any better. And we wanted to talk about Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times in the middle of those conversations, I would sense Jesus walk into those rooms. And like my, my throat would choke up and like my eyes would start to well. And like, I'm not saying that if those things happen, then the presence of God shows up. But I'm saying like for me in that moment, I'm talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden he stepped in. And like he made his presence known to me. And it's in those moments. Those were the moments that kept me on the walk of faith. So students, I just want to encourage you guys. Like you need to make talking about Jesus a normal part of your fellowship with your friends. Like it should be a normal thing for you and your friends to talk about Jesus. Because you never know when you're talking about Jesus and all of a sudden Jesus just like shows up. 
in the middle of that conversation and makes himself known. Those could be conversations that keep you on your faith journey for the rest of your life. So talk about Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, talk about Jesus. Make this a normal part of your walk with each other. Okay, I'm running out of time, so we gotta run through this, y'all. I wanna give you two things before we look at how Jesus addresses doubt. Are you guys hanging in with me tonight? The first thing is this. I wanna look at reasons why people doubt. What are some reasons why people doubt? Now, okay, remember, we're in a series on faith on the weekends, and Pastor Josh has taught us that faith can be boiled down to what? Starts with a T. Trust. Trust. Faith can be boiled down to trust. Well, I want to tell you tonight that doubt can be boiled down to broken trust. The reason why people doubt is because of broken trust. And the first one is this, broken trust through disappointment. Now, this is pretty common in Scripture and in our lives. People get disappointed all the time. Sometimes the disappointment that we feel, it's actually our fault (laughs) because we've put a wrong expectation on Jesus. And this is actually where these two guys in Luke 23 have found themselves. They're disappointed. They're sad. They're experiencing doubt. And guess what? Jesus has done absolutely nothing wrong. Actually, Jesus has done everything right for them, but they're sad and they're doubting Jesus. Why? Because they had placed an expectation on Jesus that was not for Jesus. And sometimes we experience doubt because we've placed expectations on on Jesus that he was never supposed to fulfill. Like maybe you follow Jesus and like you're experiencing doubt because like your life got harder when you started following Jesus. Well, I'm sorry, but that's kind of part of following Jesus. Maybe you experienced doubt because like you thought that following Jesus was gonna equal like open doors and like favor meant that you get whatever you want. (laughs) You get the team that you want, the girl that you want, the car that you want, and all of, you've, all of you've experienced so far is like closed doors. And so you're disappointed. But God has done nothing wrong. He's actually done everything right for you. You're just doubting. So sometimes we doubt, and it's because of a, dis- a disappointment that's our fault. And that's okay. We've all been there before. Sometimes we doubt, and it's because God told us something was going to happen. And it happened, but way later than we wanted. I think of Abraham and Sarah, right? Like when God came to Abraham and Sarah, he said, you guys are going to have a baby. And they were old when God told them that. But when they had Isaac, they weren't just old. They were way too old to be having kids. And I bet you during that time of waiting, they were disappointed. I bet you during that time of waiting, they might have fallen into some doubt about who God is, about his faithfulness, about his timing. And sometimes this is why we doubt. The second is this. Broken trust through hypocrisy. Sometimes people experience extreme doubts with Christianity or the faith, and it has nothing to do with God, and it has everything to do with just like people who represented God poorly. I actually saw this literally yesterday. I'm on YouTube. I'm watching a video of this atheist telling this Christian the reason why he's an atheist. And he said this, the reason why I'm an atheist is because I grew up in church and I saw everybody in my church act hypocritically. Nobody actually believed what they preached. And he's an atheist because of that hypocrisy. Sometimes this is why we experience doubt, because we grow up in church and maybe we see things. We see pastors act hypocritically. We see people who claim to be Christians but act nothing like Christians. Now, two things I want to say about this. First off is this. This is a part of the walk of faith, and I hope you're seeing a trend here. Like, 
walking and bumping into shoulders with fallen sinful people, it's gonna happen. And I hope that during your time here at New Song, you never experience anything that causes you to doubt like that. But at the end of the day, you do need to know that this church is full of imperfect people. And you are going to experience hypocrisy in the church. But you know what else? You will also be a hypocrite sometimes in the church. So here's what we need to learn how to do as we mature in Christ. We need to learn how to have tough skin, but soft hearts. A tough, a tough skin that says, okay, when people wrong me, I'm not just gonna get so hurt because I recognize that we live in a fallen sinful world, but I'm also gonna have a soft heart that says, I forgive you because you're acting just like me, an imperfect person, right? The third reason, and I'm trying to run through this, y'all, so be patient with me. Third reason why people doubt is this, broken trust through unfortunate circumstances. And this is just where, like, bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people. It's because we live in a fallen and sinful and broken world. John the Baptist, he was beheaded in prison. Peter found himself on a boat in the middle of a storm. He thought he was going to die. Job lost everything. People lose their jobs today. Maybe you're here tonight and you've lost a, a family member tragically. Like, bad things happen, and they happen to good people. And sometimes in the middle of that, trying to figure out why that happened, we can try and cope with that by placing blame on God. And we can try and blame God for doing something he never did. It was just the fallenness of the world that touched our life. Does that make sense? Doubt, I'm trying to tell you, New Song students, doubt will come knocking at the door of your heart, whether it's happened now or it's gonna happen in the future. And it'll look different for everybody. It might look like disappointment. It might look like hypocrisy in the church. It might look like encountering the fallenness of the world. So how do we deal with this doubt? Well, before we look at how Jesus dealt with doubt, I want to look at how we can, if we're not careful, we can deal with doubt in our own strength. So how we tend to deal with doubt is this. Number one is this, spiritually bypassing. Now, that's a really fancy way of saying this. You're pretending. Spiritually bypassing is pretending. It's like this. It's like you're experiencing doubt inside of you, and it is so real that it feels like it's eating you alive. But on the outside, you're like this. God, you're so good. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Praise God. You're like kicking podiums down, and you're just like putting on a show, but you're not actually dealing with what's going on in your heart. You're spiritually bypassing your doubt. You're, you're just doing all the spiritual disciplines and hoping that your doubt disappears. But when you do your spiritual disciplines, you never tell God where your heart's at. So all those spiritual disciplines are not actually touching your heart. They're just outward stuff. And sometimes we do this with our doubt. We spiritually bypass. We pretend like everything's okay. John Tyson says this. We don't operate out of what we wish. We operate out of what we are. And so if you are experiencing doubt, at some point, you have to deal with it. You have to be honest, like, God, this is where I am right now. I'm doubting. We can't pretend where we're not. We have to deal with who we actually are. The second thing is this. We deal with doubt in our own strength extra by, by extra biblical truth seeking. Now, what is this? When I say extra biblical, I don't mean you're spending extra time in the Bible. <laughs> I actually mean the opposite. Extra-biblical truth-seeking means you're going to anything and everything but God's Word to tell you what God's Word says. So that means you're doubting, 
But you're not going to the word of God to tell you what's true. You're going to podcasts. You're going to YouTube. You're reading all the books you can find. You're going to all the people who can tell you what is actually truth except going to the truth. Because you know what? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the word of God made flesh, right? Jesus is the word. And if you're doubting what's true or not, the worst thing that you could do is go to outside sources to tell you what the source is. Does that make sense? The worst thing we can do is do extra biblical truth seeking to tell us what the Bible actually says. So if you want to if you want to like deal with your doubt head on, you know what you need to do? You need to go straight to the word. Number three is this, and I wish I could spend more time on this, but I just can't. The third thing is this, we can deal with our doubt through deconstruction. This is kind of like the end goal of doubt if it's done unhealthily. What is deconstruction? At, the, at its very core, it's a rejection of God's word. And Pastor Lee Cummings describes um, deconstruction um, as this. It's, a, it's an inverted discipleship. So instead of coming to the Bible and letting the Bible disciple us, we come to the Bible and we try to disciple the Bible into how we want it to look. So Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But deconstruction says, God, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Do you see this? It's an inverted discipleship. And you do not want to let your doubt take you to this place. New Song students, you do not want to end up in this place where your doubt has caused you to try to change who God is because of what you've walked through. But I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. This is the beautiful thing about doubt. Jesus helps us in our doubt. Amen. Amen. Jesus helps us in our doubt. So I want to look at three things, three ways Jesus helps us in our doubt. First one is this. He deals with doubt honestly. Somebody say honestly. honestly. Luke 23, verse 18. Look at this. It says this. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the one, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? Okay, pause. Jesus knows exactly what things they're dealing with. He knows exactly why they are experiencing doubt. So why in the world did Jesus ask them what things? Have you ever thought about that? Why did Jesus ask? Well, it's because Jesus wanted them to be honest about where they're at. David Guzik says this, in this saying, Jesus skillfully played along with the conversation, encouraging the men to reveal their hearts. Even though he knew their hearts, there was value in them saying it to Jesus. New Song students, when was the last time you honestly gave the Lord your whole heart? Like I'm talking about the raw, unfiltered feelings that like you don't tell other people. When was the last time you gave those to Jesus? Because I think sometimes if we're not careful, we don't tell God those things because we think, well, God's all knowing. He already knows everything. What's the point of telling him something he already knows? But Jesus looks at you and me just like he looked at these two guys. And you know what he says to us? He says, what things? Hey, what's troubling you? Can you tell me what's going on in your heart? Jesus wants you and I to deal with the doubt that we're facing honestly, to look at it and to tell him, hey, this is where I'm at. I don't, I'm disappointed in you, God. 
I'm disappointed in your timing. I'm disappointed in whatever, fill in the blank. You need to tell Jesus what that thing is tonight. Second thing is this, he deals with doubt biblically. Luke 23, 27, in the beginning, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all of the scripture concerning himself. So the first thing Jesus does to deal with the doubt is he goes to the word of God. But he doesn't just go to the word of God, he goes to the word of God and he says, hey, I don't want you to just see the Bible, I want you to see the Bible through me. That's the way you break doubt down, by seeing the Bible through me. Jesus went up to them and he said, hey, I am the blessing of Abraham to all the nations. I'm the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I'm the man who wrestled with Jacob. I'm the lion of Judah. I'm the voice in the burning bush. I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the greater prophet than Moses. I'm the suffering servant in Psalm 23 or 22. I'm the good shepherd in Psalm 23. He goes through the entire Bible and he's like, hey, all of these things were about me. And he reinterprets all of scripture around himself. And this is the, the key thing here with doubt, is it's not just getting into the word more, it's finding Jesus in the word. That's what's gonna break your doubt down. And number three is this, and this is the most encouraging one to me, he deals with doubt personally, personally, which means differently. Like for you, he's gonna deal with your doubt differently than he dealt with me. And I wanna show this to you through Thomas. Because we just looked at a story where Jesus walks up to these guys' conversation, deals with their doubt for them. But look at this. Jesus shows up to Thomas and he says this. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. And this time Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked door, stood among them and said, peace to you. Then Jesus made it personal. Jesus focused his attention on Thomas. And he knew exactly what Thomas said eight days ago. He knew exactly what Thomas wanted. He knew exactly what, Tom, exactly what Thomas needed. Look at this. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving, believe. New Song students, Jesus, he wants to do this with you tonight. He wants to enter into your world personally, and he wants to address the doubts you've been wrestling with personally uniquely for you tonight. But you know what he's not gonna do? He's not gonna bust down the door of your heart and force you to do it. You have to let him in. And so we're gonna do that tonight. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes tonight as we get ready to close. And I want you to just honestly deal with this for a second. And we're just gonna move right into altar ministry. Leaders, would you start making your way down to the front? And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, Holy Spirit, is there doubt in my heart? Holy Spirit, can you reveal to me any doubt that I've been carrying? And I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna reveal something to you tonight that you need to be honest about. You need to deal with. You need to look at that doubt in the face and say no more. Holy Spirit, have I been dealing with doubts? Jesus, I thank you that right now you are revealing to students areas in their heart where, where they have withheld their faith. They had faith in you, but something happened and then they took that faith out. They withdrew it from you and they've placed it in something else. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you reveal what that is right now so they can surrender it at the altar? And not only that, I pray for boldness for these students 
to act on this word tonight, that if there really is doubt in their heart, that they would not leave this room and they would not leave this church without voicing it to you and voicing it to a brother or sister in Christ tonight. So right now we're gonna respond to this word. Would you stand with me, New Song students? And if you have doubt, this is the, I mean, this is a simple response. If you've been dealing with doubt, you've been wrestling with something, come down. We wanna lay hands on you. We wanna pray with you. We wanna ask that God would make himself known to you personally tonight. So the altars are open. You can start making your way down to the front, pray with one of your leaders. But if you don't need to respond tonight, would you just lift your hands with me? and let's worship. God, we love you. We praise you. You're so faithful. You're so true. You're so good. And sometimes we walk through doubt, but God, you always take us through that and you make us better on the other side. And I pray for every student tonight dealing with doubt that they would deal with it tonight and receive prayer for whatever they're walking through. In Jesus' name.